Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm your host, Tom Morcus, and today I sit down with Manny Hoffman, who is the CEO and founder of Ptex Group, an Inc. 500 ranked marketing agency located in Brooklyn, New York. Today, Manny and I talk about what it was like for him to found his agency, to bootstrap it from scratch, and to be in business for close to a decade now in New York and still thriving. And so we dive into his origin story, how he got started, what it's like to bootstrap an agency, and also how he approaches hiring and processes and systems, and specifically, you know, getting the right employees and getting them onboarded the right way and growing a business by focusing on the people and the personnel first before anything else. So I think this is a, a particularly interesting conversation for anybody who's hiring or who has staff and for anybody who's thinking about growing through the hiring of new employees and where you should kind of focus your time and attention and energy. My big takeaway is that like anything, it's hard work to grow any kind of successful organization. In this case, many has identified that his kind of critical component to his success has been the employees, the hiring process, what he does to hire and retain top talent. And I think that's a fascinating takeaway for pretty much anybody who's doing any kind of service-based business. That's probably the truth. And I think for most businesses, that's the truth. Although we do make an exception and many makes an exception in the conversation for real estate, that being the only area where processes can kind of supersede or be more important than and then personnel. And we kind of go into that in today's conversation. But the bottom line takeaway is that people do matter. And if you're trying to grow, you do need to think about your team. So I'm going to leave it at that. Without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So many, the place I want to start is with your background. What led you to what you're doing today with Ptex Group, how you founded it, how you kind of, how you founded it, how you launched it, uh, but, but like what led up to it. And then we can kind of get into the details of how you've, you've launched and grown it. Sure. So thank you so much for having me. Basically, my first business card I created when I was 13 years old. You know, I have that, you know, I'm the kid that grew up being, the, you know, the kid that found always something to do instead of playing around. So it was the lemonade stand. It's the helping out the neighbors and so on and so forth. So in the early early stages, I, I loved graphic design. I loved uh, creating stuff. So my first business card, as I mentioned, was at 13 years old. Obviously, I only then put it aside. I was still in school. But then when push comes to, came to shove, you know, as far as um, to build something, I figured I want to get into the space of helping businesses grow. And we established our company. Okay. So talk, talk to me a little bit about that. Like, what was it like to actually start it? Um, there's a lot of pieces that go into these kind of things. That's why I'm kind of curious to dive in. Yeah. So the first thing it starts is, is the passion side of things. Um, I think, um, you know, I speak a lot to leaders and business owners on an ongoing basis. When the question comes up about passion, you hear it a lot, you read a lot about it. And I always say the following. Um, yes, you could arrive at opening a business, you know, starting a business and without the proper passion. But at one point, you need to have the passion. And if you can have the passion before opening a company and then starting that business with that passion, it's amazing. If not, at least when you open up your business, you have to start being passionate about what you do. So when we launched our company, um, it was, you know, my partner, myself, and, and we basically divided the responsibilities. And we could speak a little bit about that and the importance of understanding who is doing what for the company. And, and we just started doing everything. And in the early stages, I did 
really literally everything. And I touched from bookkeeping to sales to actually doing graphic design and everything and cleaning up our offices. I remember the early, early stages in our company, we had a small basement in Brooklyn where every night we had to actually pick up our computers because we were afraid it was going to rain and, and the, the floor would be flooded. Um, huh. So, you know, you have to, and I think that's a, a very important part. A lot of people think they have to start the business and they have to right away take themselves out of it. I think it's very important for a CEO of a company to be able to look back and say, I did every piece of this. And and, and now when my salesperson is having a challenge, I could relate to it. Or bookkeeper is having a challenge, I could relate to it. So at one point, you outgrow those positions and you, you divide those responsibilities and hire people for those responsibilities. And maybe at one point, they, you, know, you have people that they're doing it better than yourself. But it is important that at one point you had a little bit of it, of those things and you touched it a little bit. Okay, so, so two questions for you. Uh, the first is, how did you get your first, say, client, your first paying client? And then the second thing was, what was that first most important hire or just the first, the first because you mentioned, well, you start hiring out those, those tasks that you're doing. So you're wearing all the hats and then eventually start hiring those out. So maybe you start with the client first. I'm kind of curious about that. And then we can kind of go into how you've built your team since then. Yeah. So, so um, when you start off a company, um, and this is something that, you know, if it's now it's way easier than at that point, we, you know, we're now 18 years in business. Um, but I feel that growing a business is pretty easy. Um, that's the first initial step when you have passion or you arrive to some sort of decision that you're going to be opening this company, you're going to open up this business, you're going to offer this service or sell this product. Usually um, your network of people, uh, once upon a time, we call it the Rolodex of friends. Um, there is some people there that you already envisioned they, they should be potential clients of yours. So initially, as, as soon as we launched the company, I went to every friend, every community member or people that I knew from just neighbors and so on and so forth um, to try to get business. And from that stage, you start growing and growing. And the real hard part is managing growth, uh, which that becomes a little tricky. That's when you start hiring. And I'll, I'll get to that in a minute to answer your second part of the question. But to answer your first part of the question, I did all of the above. I, I looked at you know, every resource that I had in order to try to approach those people. And I remember people, you know, telling me, you know, if you only get my business, you're good to go. And if you, you know, oh, my business, you'll never get. And, and then it just put me those challenges to say, you know what, you told me I'll never get your business. I will get your business. <laughs> you're not going to be the first one, not the second one. You can start hearing about our services. And then at one point you'll reach out to us. And I did cold calling to knocking on doors. You know, I went to, I remember the times in the early days where we didn't have a lot of st a lot of business going. And at one Tuesday morning, I told my partner, I think it's quiet. We don't have a lot of stuff. Let's get in the car. Let's find the first, you know, huge building, office building, and let's go door to door knocking. And I think it's, it's first of all, it shows commitment towards what you want to do. But more importantly is that you gain a lot of experience because you get thrown out, you get welcomed in, you get promises, you get business as well. And that, and that gives you, you know, basically prepares you for the real world as you start growing your company. Um, and on the second question, um, I'll just go into a little bit of more details about hiring. And, and obviously it wasn't that way when we started. So which one do you want to, I should, I should yeah. tell you how we would approach it now or how we approach it then? I, well, I'm kind of curious about then because I know it's changed a lot and, and then we can talk about now. So, but yeah. how you got started is always fascinating to me how people have like kind of solved this particular problem in their business. Yeah. So at one point I found myself, um, you know, being the entrepreneur, not the technician as Michael Gerber calls it. And as soon as I started feeling that I'm losing it, 
I, I felt that, okay, I need to hire. And the first thing actually was bookkeeping. So I hired actually a family member to come in a few hours. And then it was, I felt that, you know, graphic design, I might start, you know, I might think I'm good, but I want to really do cool stuff. And I don't, I don't know if I have the patience and the time to really teach myself that and constantly be upbeat about it. And then I decided I want to be the business person and let me hire the graphic designer. So that was my first full-time hire where he said, let's hire a graphic designer to do the work for our clients instead of me just being bogged down by the computer and doing graphic design work. Um, so that was the first two hires without any knowledge, not knowing exactly what's going on, not even knowing how to create payroll. Um, you know, and at that point, obviously you start hiring an accountant and it teaches you the basics of business. Um, and then we went from there on. From there on, we, we started hiring more and more people. Now we have a team of uh, about 35 in-house people and then a bunch of freelancers and project-based uh, people that we work with. Um, so that's now, and, and it, it evolved very much since then because I came to realization is, and, and what Michael, uh, you know, Marcus Lemonis, um says, it's all about people, process, and product. And and I will go a little bit deeper than how he says it on his show, The Profit, is it's it also goes in this order. So you could have the most basic product and you could sell pens as long as you could have great people in your company, which create a great process and relationship with people, you'll be very successful. So at one point, you have to realize that that really the make it or break it in a business is the people behind it. And that's the biggest and most important asset. And that's, that's why you need to focus on getting the right people in, making sure that they are able to deliver the, the right work for the company, because that's going to be the, the biggest driving force, more than market trends, more than your innovation, more than anything else uh, will be the people that drive your company. So we constantly become better at hiring, better at uh, running our culture and our and infrastructure, because we know the importance of great people working for you. Are you and you guys are bootstrapped, right? Yep. Like you were self-funded and you've grown that way. Like, you, have you ever taken any outside investment, or have you just grown it through your own uh, own investments and your own capital as you guys have grown, like in cash flow? No, it's totally, totally our own bootstrap company. We're running cash flow as we speak uh, um, as a small company. You know, um, it's it's. I think it's a totally different level as soon as you start taking money from the outside. Well, different level. I think it's just a different path too. It's it's like I don't see it as like a level up or anything like that. I think people that make it as bootstrappers are like the people you want to listen to in my opinion. I'm biased. Yeah. But like so I, I, like there's always there's always um um exclusions of those those type of statements uh, but but it really depends on where you want to go with the company as a whole. Like sometimes in order to be able to deliver a phenomenal product you must grow fast. You must be able to really build out a full, you know, instead of just a, a minimum viable product, you need to build it out that it's ready for the masses. And in order to do that, you need millions of dollars. But when you're running a small company and you service, you're delivering services or products, you need to have that feeling that every dollar that you earn is being, you know, is being accounted for and every dollar that you, you know, um, that you spend um, is something that it's, totally going off your, your P&L. Yeah, exactly. And, and so zooming in on that, I'm kind of curious on, on, the, on the people process thing. What, what comes first, the good people or the process? <laughs> and how, how'd you guys work that out? Yeah, so, so the, the order of importance is definitely um, for everything but real estate is people, process, and product. And the reason why I say but real estate is because I just had recently a story with, I spoke to a really wealthy, successful person in real estate. And he said, you know, 
you know, what are all these different things? You speak about culture, you speak about business processes. Why is that important? And I mentioned to him, the only market I found that could go the opposite way around, which is product is the most important thing, is real estate. If you have a great property and somebody wants to buy it, they don't care about your process. They don't care who you are as a person. They just want to make that transaction. Anything but real estate, you want to care about the people and then you want to deal with a company that has great processes so you feel that you're taken care of. So anything but real estate is always the most important part is people and process and then product. Now, what comes first is this is a great question and, and I'll answer it a little different is um, this, you know, this is different than asking what's the most important part. This is for a business owner. The, the business owner has to have some, has to figure out what their business model is and bring in people. That's basically what I call the vision of the company. So if you just say, I'm going to hire a bunch of a bunch of great people, and we're going to figure out what we want to do, I, I think that you, you're setting yourself up for disaster. That At that point, the business owner has to have somewhat of a direction of where he wants to go with the product side, somewhat of a direction where they want to go with the process. And so you're bringing in people to basically buy into your vision and, and, and help you achieve your vision. Yeah. And so, so you, as you grew it, then it was I know you were kind of, you were wearing all the hats too. And, and so it's like hiring bookkeeper and then, you know, graphic design. And so it's like, you were doing all these things and you realized, okay, this is one of the bottlenecks. And it's also one of the areas where maybe you're something, something to do with maybe like, this is the thing I'm not necessarily at least capable of it or, or just the, the, the thing where there's the biggest, um, biggest difference between your ability and somebody else's and the amount you have to spend, uh, we'll say, or the expense of hiring somebody else to do it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily that you're, you're, you don't have the ability to do it, but it's noticing mm-hmm. as a, a founder, when you're creating this and you are wearing all the hats, where is that greatest, uh, almost that greatest opportunity for growth mm-hmm. in that space? Because you're doing something that's probably maybe a lower value activity um, than what you could be doing. And you could hire somebody to do it competently. Maybe that far exceeds your ability it's, it's something like that. I don't know what the actual equation, yeah. but it's something I, like I, that. I will tell you the equation that works for us and what yeah. we, when we speak to leaders. Um, um, and this is something your listeners, I think, could take away as, as, as a very you know, a solid way of looking at, at hiring in general. So I, I believe that as soon as you open up your company, um, you open up a bank account, a corporation, whatever those legal stuff you're going to start working on a business plan. Now, I don't care about the business plan as far as like how many pages and stuff like that. But at that same time, you're going to create an organizational chart. Um, you know, those organizational charts you see Fortune 500 companies have, which says Tom works for Mary, Mary works for whatever in those different, uh, you know, there's a bunch of programs doing those those organizational charts. You do this for your company. Now, because you're a solo entrepreneur and you're self-employed, instead of using names, you're going to do all the responsibilities your company will have. So let's say you open a retail shop. Um, You might have who's the general manager, who's doing bookkeeping, who's doing purchasing, who's doing sales, who's doing marketing, who's doing, you know, all the different responsibilities and every business has those. It's related to sales, marketing operations and finance. And you could be as detailed as possible because in bookkeeping, you could have one box, which is called bookkeeping, or you could have even three. One is called accounts payable, accounts receivable, and, and purchasing POs, whatever it is. You do that. And it's a critical piece. And I've seen business owners that adopted this, and it really, really helped them. And at first, don't be ashamed of yourself because you just opened the company, but your name will be attached to every single responsibility this company has. However, when you're ready to hire, when you come to a moment, he says, I can't do it myself. I need to hire. You're going to ask yourself, which box do I want to give away for somebody? 
And the, re- and the way you're going to approach that will be either stuff that you're totally not capable of doing or stuff that you hate doing. So because you're a business owner, you could decide and you could give it away based on your skills or what your passion. I don't love bookkeeping. Even if I could do it technically, it's not the best use of my time. It's, you know, I just don't want to be the bookkeeper. Same is with sales. Like a lot of business owners you could see um, hate doing sales, but initially they were the salesperson. Or the opposite, some business owners, you know, they have grown multi-million dollar companies and they're still in charge of sales. Why? They love doing it. Because you're the business owner, you could decide. However, once you decide which box, then you go out and looking for that new hire. And that's where you could start putting those boxes and changing those names on those boxes. And that's how you start growing the, your organization. And if you don't do it that way, what happens is a lot of people say, I just need another person to help me out. And the responsibilities are not clear defined. Yeah. And then the value is not clear defined. And ultimately, you're finding yourself that you're losing half of what you have achieved because now you just keep on training somebody constantly to look over you and you're not getting the full value. Versus the way I just shared with you is as, as soon as if you want to know if the person is capable of doing, give, give them the box for three months and you'll know very clearly if that person is, is suited for the job or not. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And and I, there's, I, I remember hearing s- somebody or something, maybe I read a book on that, like, okay, write down all these these items, which I thought was very helpful. Oh, it was actually da- Danny Annie. I remember it was like the first time, this was a few years back, back and I was like, oh, that's really that's a great way to look at it. But then on, on to your point too of like then hiring for that position, so important. I think I kind of stumbled into and made some mistakes on that too. And and, and mm-hmm. since then I've kind of learned from those mistakes and I can, I can absolutely validate what you're saying. It's like... Yeah. Put somebody into a specific position with with an with uh, an objective in mind, and then let, yeah, let them yeah, see and, and that's and the, and the beauty of that is because now instead of going out and saying I want to do a job description, I'm going to put on this job description so many different things because I'm thinking everything I'm doing, I I just need somebody to help me out. Now you're going out, and and then it's so hard to find that person, and then finally you find that person, and then you're not seeing eye to eye of the value they bring to the company. Um, Versus if it's so, it's if you narrow down the focus of what they could do, even if they have three responsibilities in the beginning, because maybe you don't have a full time bookkeeper, you don't need a full time bookkeeper, so you can give them three boxes, whatever it is. But you could narrow down the skill set of what's needed, and you could find more talent for that, and then the value is there. And I I always look at that as employees as every employee has to have bring value to the company and that's why you're paying them and it has to be a fair exchange of value and when the responsibilities are vague it's you cannot identify what value are they bringing and what is the you know what is the worth for the company versus when the responsibilities becomes a little clearer now you could improve on that now you could know the value they bring to the company and it's a very it, you know it's a very clear cut and you see eye to eye with your employee as they grow and the company grows you know exactly where they are and and, and another point speaking about that is something that i've seen a, a business owner make a lot, you know, basically sometimes make the mistake of, you know, I believe that when you start hiring, you have to embrace diversity and diversity, I think, by different types of people. Like a lot of times I'll speak to someone who says, I just hired someone. I'm so excited. And I ask them, why are you so excited about this candidate? He says, well, this person thinks like me, writes like me. And, you know, sometimes they say, who said that's what you need? You already have yourself. Maybe bring in somebody that's totally not like you, but together you're going to now accelerate because that person is complementing your weakness. 
and, and so on and so forth. When you take a person that's very much like you, you're getting the same like you, and both of you could have certain weaknesses, then the company needs somebody that could complement you. Let, let me ask you a question on that. I'm curious, have you ever used any kind of like, I don't know, it's like Myers-Briggs and those kind of tests to figure out like, what are those differences and to like, is there any, any have, you, have you ever used that, I guess? So, so maybe it's controversial, but I have done it myself um, many times. I've never had success of doing those for potential employees. Right. I have found that I've given it for the same employees three different times and the results were a little different every time. So we have a great interviewing process, the way we interview and the way we ask questions and the way we got, try to get to a, a what makes the ideal team player, so to speak. And, and that's more or less enough. And it, it's not going to help us if we see this person is square yeah. or circle right. or, or right. A, a, a C or whatever, all the different mm. um, acronyms, the, the different tests. Right, right. Exactly, right. And I, I know those things, to me, they seem like limited or, or yeah. more just like... It, it, almost like that, it, it almost like validates your weaknesses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, it's, or, or what it is, I feel like a lot of times those kind of tests are just, uh, they're just examples of great or confirmation bias in action. Like, yeah. oh yeah, this validates all that. It's like, yeah, that is me. <laughs> It's like, yeah. yeah, you are. It all gives you an ex- a reason for the excuse. Right. Okay. So tell me, you said you have uh, the interview. How do you guys do that? Like what, or what are your ma- major tips? It doesn't have to be like completely, but what, what's critical in the hiring process? What do you, what yeah. do you look for? So we look at, we look at um, four, um, four pieces of the interviewing process um, and uh, four, four pieces for, for each candidate. And it's not in the, it's not in the order. It's just between, uh, we take in the, in the account. First of all, we want somebody that, believes in our vision and our mission of the company, where we're going um, in general. So we, we share that we, and, and we want to see if this person really buys into what we're trying to do. The second part is our core values. We have very concrete core values that are important for our culture. Um, the third is basically we want to make sure are they team pl- our team player? Will they fit in to our culture to be a team player? And that's what we look at, humble, hungry, and smart. And then fourth, obviously, is the skill set. So you're being hired for a specific job, you still need that skill set. Even if you're a great culture fit and you're a great asset to the company, we want to have that. So every candidate, we go through a process, a three-step interviewing process. Throughout those interviews, we, we try to make sure as most, as most that we could to make sure that all of those four are addressed somewhat. And, and therefore, we, not, we know if somebody passes those four, we know that this person has the potential. You know, you could still fall through the cracks, but has the potential of being a great asset to our company. You mentioned you do a three-step process. What are, and those are the, the four things you look for. I thought that was great. What are the three steps? Or you, or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so the first thing is at this point, because um, we, we have a larger team, so there's always like a direct report. So the direct report will have the first interview and that will be all about the job description. So we have a formal job description, not a very fancy, never more than one page, just to give you a basic of what the job entails. Uh, that, that will be simple for gauging, uh, engaging a fit and seeing on the skill set, seeing on the, the initial candidate, if they are capable of doing the job. The second interview will be, in, in, in our case, it's with a, C, a C-level executive. It's usually, in, in, in our case, it's the CEO, which is myself. And in my meeting, I'll not be brief from the first interview, so I'm not biased coming into this interview. I'm starting fresh. And that interview is all about core values, culture, understanding who the company, what the company is all about, and making sure that you are a proper team player for the company. And the reason why this interview is so important is because um, 
I don't, sometimes if you have a larger company, the, the, the direct report is really anxious of hiring someone. And they go into, if this person doesn't say something stupid and everything makes sense, they're probably the best hire. When they come to the CEO interview, I look at it, you know, I've spent so much effort building this company. It's a gated community. You have to really make sure that you, you have to almost like squeeze yourself in that you want to be part of this. So I look at it totally different without, you know, that that initial understanding that we must hire because we're short staff, we're short staff. Let, let, let me pause right there before we get into number three. What, what, do you, what exactly are the indicators? Like what are red flags or I don't know, the opposite yeah. of a red flag? Yeah, sure. Or something like, how do you, how do you judge that anyway? So we have like a core value booklet. So I go through a couple of them just to, and I see just in facial expression, you know, are there people, you know, sometimes people say, oh, you know, I just need a J-O-B. Well, what are you showing me all this different stuff? And then other people say, you know, like messages, like something like, I love a company that spends effort in putting this together. This is so me. I, I, I see myself being part of it. Or when we speak about hum, humble, hungry, and smart, I try to let the candidate speak more than I, I speak. And and I would walk me through what, what you did in the past experience. And I could see, is it all about I, 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 or is it we did this and my involvement was this. Um, when I speak about do I hear questions about what's my growth potential? Where do you see the company growing? In the, what is the industry? You know, uh, that's all about hungriness. You know, I want to exp- expand. I, I'm not just looking for a job and a paycheck. And then smart is basic stuff. Do you, just, is there any red flags of, of seeing how, you know, you know what's their basic? Not, not, I'm not looking at IQ, but I'm looking at just the street smart. You know, are they just, a, you know, a time is a time, coming on time, bringing, you know, how they, you know, how they act. And then there's more stuff we go in just to see, um, you know, on the skill set side. Sometimes we could do a role play where we could just pretend that, let's say, they hire for a sales person, a sales uh, position. Let's go through a sales process. Let's see how you would act and how would you respond. If I give you an object objection, how would you respond? I could see the level of of skills they have. So I'm doing it totally casual totally not scripted and also the mistake a lot of companies do is they could do multiple interviews but they'll do the exact same interview with just different people and it wears out a candidate it's just not fair um while we do it in a way that everything i'm discussing is totally not the same as the first interview so it makes them excited it builds their their momentum towards the job versus just replicating everything they just said and just repeating it again yeah for sure and then so what was number three and number three is if I feel that this is, uh, you know, if there is any red flags at that point, I discuss it with direct report to see if, if we saw the same things. And if it's good, they'll go back to the direct report. And that's where they'll discuss um, what we call the KRAs, the key results areas. That's in, the, you know, in the past, you, a lot of companies call that KPIs. And we call them, how are we going to measure your success? So obviously you had two interviews, you want to proceed, you know, proceed with taking the job. This is the three things to how we're going to value your, um, you know, your job, uh, the work you do for the company. One is the effectiveness of what you do. And this is how it pertains to your, your, your job. And this is the efficiency levels and culture of excellence, how we expect you to work as a team. And, and that's obviously, and then we discussed the, the final fine tuning, the financials and the rest of it. And, the, and, and it goes back to the, just the basic interviewing, um, you know, to fine tune the, the basics of, of getting every, all the, the details in, in place. Mm. On, on that note, I'm, I'm kind of curious. So you said, um, 
Well, no, a, a, a little bit, or I made an assumption that, that, it, um, that it was there, but you said, how do we measure success? So like before you even hire for this, have you guys already established what those are for the new job that you're hiring for? Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, this, this has taken us a long time to perfect and we're constantly perfecting, but once upon a time, we knew that we need to look at uh, effective, we need to look at KPIs and every company has KPIs, but most companies look at KPIs with metrics uh, and the, it's very much one dimensional. And we felt when you're building a good culture, there's so much more to it. So at one point, like I would say a year and a half ago, we arrived at the destination that let's look at effectiveness, efficiency, and culture of excellence. We call it the three E's. And now every job should have the way we measure the effectiveness. So if you're a bookkeeper, managing cash flow and making sure the collections is in sync and all of those things are that's effectiveness of your job. Efficiency is when you say some, you tell somebody you're going to be calling them back. You're calling them back. You're coming on time. Um, you know, you're cleaning up your inbox. You finish. You know, you're not letting things fall through the cracks. That's the effectiveness of that's efficiency part of it. And culture of excellence is how how do your coworkers work with you? You know, is are you a team player? And this is very obvious that we don't need any metrics to it. So you could almost when we came up with this way and, and, and your audience, you know, your listeners are, are free to copy it. You, sh- you should not have a single job in your organization that you cannot attach somewhat of an effectiveness to it, somewhat of efficiency level to it and, and some sort of culture of excellence. Do you use the same process for um, part time employees and, and or contractors? Um, we have rarely that we have part-time employees okay. um and if we have it will be some somewhat like like more freelancers working on mm-hmm. project base um so they wouldn't be part of the culture so much that that that's important it's going to be job by job you know project by project basis got it okay cool so this is for full-time hires but you still work with contractors and freelancers and stuff like that just yes. your your process for hiring um might be a little bit a little yeah. bit different for them. We That's used probably- to, yeah, we used to, we used to be a little bit more like everybody full time in our office because culture was so important. Um, you know, with 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 time, a lot of those things change for skill sets, and a lot of people more, need a little bit more flexibility. So in the last couple of years, we've been opening up. You know, we opened up our to work with people that might not be full time in the office or people that might be just hired for projects. And you guys recently, I think, uh, or, or maybe I think it was recently, landed on like a top 100 list. Uh, tell yeah. me a little bit about that. So that's the Cranes uh, um, um, top 100 in New York City, um, best places to work. And was a very, it was an amazing accomplishment for us. Not so much, you know, I love, I love giving some tidbits for your listeners as far as what's behind it than other than the recognition. Um, I think it's important. It's twofold. A lot of people and a lot of CEOs, and I bet you, you interviewed a bunch of CEOs and they said, you know what, culture is important to me. I once spoke to, to someone um, and he's, he told me that, you know, he spent so much effort on culture and it's not working. And I said, you know what, do you use Google Calendar? And he says, yes. I said, could you show me how many slots in your Google Calendar are basically blocked out for culture? He says, what do you mean? I said, you know, culture, you have to be intentional about it. So if you're not spending the effort on programs and time and meeting with people about it, it doesn't, it just doesn't happen by its own, by accident. So the, the message by that is that, that arriving to a 100 list is not just an end result. It's an ongoing um, um, it shows just an ongoing priority for the CEO and for the organization that culture is important. So uh, the way we arrive at that is we work. I believe that you know people give you the best years of their life when they come to work. 
And it's your job as a CEO to make sure that, yes, they're efficient and they're effective at what they do, but they also have a great time while doing it. And, and culture in general, you know, I think if you look at the world and if you're going to Google the word culture, actually, um, Google will probably come up one of those first, you know, the most amazing places to work because they have a great culture. And people confuse that and think, OK, why does Google have a great culture? Because they probably give you babysitting service and ping pong tables. But that's not a great culture. That's perks. A great culture means that you have a great culture, a culture of excellence. You have an environment that people that come in there, by the time they leave, they grew. They have a good time doing it. They're able to grow as in, in their skill set. They're able to have a great, healthy environment that could speak their mind and so on and so forth. Yes, we have perks and we have some cereal bars and, and, and you just instant soups and coffee and all the different perks that we have. But culture by us means it's serious. We have core values that we believe on. We hold each other accountable. We have a very healthy way of communicating internally and people could speak their mind and people get, could get recognized for what they do. And, and ultimately, we have programs like Growth Time where we have small mini um, educational courses to a book it initiative where we pay $50 for every book you read. Programs like that that we put into, we basically not only put into place we basically put our money where our mouth is, which costs money for the company, but we want to show that how important it is for you to grow. So if you became a manager now or you became a leader and you don't have a formal education about it, just read a good book about it and get better at it. If you became now, if you're a customer service rep, read a good, about, read a good book and we'll actually pay you for reading that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When, when it comes, so you said also you, you, you carve out time in your calendar for this and that it's a constant effort. Give me, give me an example of like, I guess, some of the things that you institute yourself or that you might recommend people look into when they're trying to say, develop this culture. Yeah. So, so I, I think a first step for it is there is a little, you know, I, I would say that a lot of business owners are blindsided how actually their culture is. Meaning I could, you could speak to some CEOs and say, I think I have a great culture. I think my people, my employees are happy. If you don't have a way of measuring that, you don't know what's happening really. And, and, you know, even if you have a smaller company, if you don't have those, those, you know, those things, you know, those metrics in place or play or activities in place to me measure the culture, you wouldn't know the real, you know, the real um, um, level of how, how people are. So in our case, I mentioned before KRAs, which we have quarterly reviews with our employees one-on-one -on -one, and not because something happened, just because the, the time, you know, the date is another quarter past. We have those conversations and we have those one-on-one -on -one conversations where we have the employee giving us what they feel, what we could do better for them, what they could do better for the company. So that's the first one of those, those, those ways where we measure, we get some initial feedback from our team to make sure are they happy and what they do is, you know, how do they feel about the culture? Second of all, we have internal service we send out. You know, I sent out just a few a few weeks ago an internal survey to the whole company with a bunch of very heart-beating questions, so to speak, and it's anonymous. So we're not asking them to put their name so we could get raw, raw, raw feedback from our team members, how they feel about leadership, how they feel about communication, how they feel about the culture in general, and a bunch of other questions where a lot of CEOs don't have the stomach, you know, to actually get that feedback because not everything will be positive. You have all kinds of people, but so that's another level where you get raw feedback from your team so you know where you are. And the third is companies like the Cranes or the Great Places to Work, where that's, again, anonymous surveys from the outside surveying your people so you get a feel of 
how they really feel when they're they're have the privilege of sending the information to a like a a company outside of your organization so you know where you where you are um so those are the different things we do and this is if a ceo wants to get a you know their finger on the pulse as far as how is my culture how do people feel about our company activities like i just mentioned would be a great start to get a feel and if they see there's room for improvement then they start baking it into their schedule how could we do more of those things in order to improve our culture Hmm, very fascinating. Well, many, we're coming up to the top of our, our time here today. I thought it was, this was really fascinating. I think people are going to get a lot of value out of this. Where can people reach out to find you, connect with you, learn more about, about what you guys do? Sure. So um, our company website is ptexgroup.com. That's P-T-E-X-G-R-O-U-P.com. Um, we, we run a blog and on the blog, you can see a lot of our um, a lot of stuff that I, I post, a newsletter, they could subscribe to our newsletter. We send out business tips on, our, on a regular basis. And I'll do, and then privately, um, manyhoffman.com, that's many with an E, or on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, posting a lot of those stuff like that we just discussed today um, on LinkedIn. And I'll do something to your listeners if they'll reach out to me on linkedin um, or via email um and send me that you know let me know that they heard uh heard me on the um on this podcast i'll send them my top 10 book list awesome. and that keeps on changing but that's the books that i always recommend business owners and leaders to read and each one has its description of of when they should read it in their journey well, you heard it, guys. Reach out to many. Let them know that you heard them on In the Trenches or that you heard them on Tom Workus' show and, uh, and, and check out that list. Well, many, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches, man. It was a real pleasure. It is my pleasure as well. Are you trying to grow your online business but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit? that you can scale as much or as little as you want. Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy, and shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed, working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission, as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, et cetera, I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? 
So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it. I kept doing it. And eventually, replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it. Because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that, that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but, you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort. Thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is get back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond. And the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you can find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing, or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to 
grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Kerry and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, and profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.